0: Well, I'm so glad you guys are here with us this morning. My name is Clayton. I'm the pastor here at Central. And if you're online, thank you so much for checking us out today. And I know we have a lot of church members that are at home um, watching online um, with us. Well, I I don't know about y'all, but I'm kind of tired because we got home late last night. We drove over the weekend to Dallas and back. And uh, for us, it was uh, about 900 miles, and we went to uh, the Cowboys Stadium. And I put a video online; I hope maybe you saw that on social media yesterday. Um, man, I don't know if y'all been to that place, but it was awesome. It was incredible. Got to watch uh, some high school football, and uh, it was great. But I am really tired. I'm exhausted. Um, I was thinking about it. You know, the average person drives about 13,500 miles. Every single year. That's how far we usually drive. And in a lifetime of you driving, most people are going to drive about 900,000 miles. That's a lot of miles. We put that into perspective. 900,000 miles is 36 times around the earth, okay? So in your lifetime, that's about as much as you're going to drive. And so I have this big question, this big thought. Now, as Holly and I, we, we take turns driving sometimes on long, long road trips. And so I was thinking about this. Who's a better driver? Men or women, right? I mean, come on. Who, who's a better driver, men or women? And so that's super subjective. Maybe in your household it might be a little bit different. Uh, but according to statistics, women have four million accidents every single year. <laughs> it's terrible. Well, actually, men have six million accidents. <laughs> Every single year. (laughs) Men actually get more tickets in a lot of different areas. There's a three-to-one odds that men are going to have more tickets for reckless driving. They are three times more likely to drive under the influence. Three times more likely to have seatbelt violations. There's a double chance that they're going to get caught speeding. And there's a two-to-one chance that they're going to get caught for failing to yield or running a stop sign. It's pretty clear that women are better drivers than men. Sorry, guys. It's why insurance is cheaper for women. You know, experts, they blame all of this on testosterone. Honestly, seriously. They say it's because men are, have testosterone more than women, and uh, they are, they're just more risk-takers, I guess, in, in life. And so if you ever get pulled over, you just look over your wife and say, it's just how God made me. You know, just... just uh. <laughs> It's my manliness, you know, just this car can't handle all my manliness and all my testosterone. And so, you know, age is also a big determination of um, a good driver or not. So the worst drivers out there are 16 and 17-year-olds, obviously, okay? Um, 16 and 17-year-olds are the worst drivers and anyone over 80 years old, okay? I don't know what that's all about, but uh, yeah, 16 and 17 are the worst and 80-plus drivers are the worst. And the best drivers, get this, are people in their 60s you're 60s, yeah, okay, yeah, good, okay. So in your 60s, you're the best driver according to statistics. And so there's another question. Where do you think the worst drivers are in the United States? Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma okay, yeah, here in, your, here in our neighborhood. Well, the truth is Oklahoma ranks number 40 out of states for the worst drivers, and the worst drivers are in Wyoming. Wyoming. I don't know, open, open areas, I guess just they just do whatever they want. Um, they don't care about the laws. Here's the deal. United States isn't a bad place to be driving. There are places around the world that are far worse than that. Um, Here's a picture I have for you. This is a picture of Malawi. Okay, Can you imagine driving in that? You can hear the noise just looking at that picture, can't you? All the honking, all the yelling, all the, the smog, and just the craziness that is going on. Driving sometimes is crazy. But Here's the deal. We're all driving somewhere, right? We Driving is part of who we are, and sometimes we know where we're going, sometimes we're just along for the ride, but everyone's going somewhere. So today, the title of, this, of our message today is, is this, it's a rearview mirror. And this rearview mirror is from an old, like, 1960s car, and Kevin gave it to me, because um, Kevin's old like that, and he gave this to me, and, but it's, when I look at this rearview mirror, it, it, you know... It reminds me of a lot of things. In a car, you have some basic things. You have a steering wheel, hopefully, right? Everybody's got a steering wheel. You've got a seat belt. But you have this rear-view mirror. And the purpose of the rear-view mirror is to put makeup on, right, ladies? Okay? No? Or it's to clean your know, check your teeth, make sure you are have your broccoli in your teeth after lunch. So, I mean, it's used for a lot of different things. Maybe you look at it, check on your kids. But really, when you look at a rear-view mirror, the purpose of that is to see what is behind you, Right? To see what's behind you. And today, that's what we're going to do. This morning, we're going to look at where we've been. Where we have been as a church. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. And as you're turning to 2 Corinthians, this is a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. And this church had a lot of issues and a lot of stuff was going on. And Paul, pretty much throughout the entire book of 2 Corinthians, he is just defending his ministry. He's defending it because there were some people, some leaders that came in behind Paul. After Paul would start a church, he would leave. There'd be some other leaders that come in behind him, and they'd say, "You know what? The way that Paul was doing it is not technic- technically correct. Let me explain to you how ministry is supposed to actually happen, how following God is supposed to actually happen." And, and Paul would get catch wind of this, and, and he'd have to go back and say, "You know what? That's not true. Let me let me describe the difference between a fake ministry and a real ministry." And so this is what Paul. Describes. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. And here's what he says. He says this. He says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. He makes this statement. And I think we need to stop and just take a, take a look at this. what this statement really means and this sentence has has two parts to it and so let's take a look at the first part of that he says because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord some of your your versions might say because we have a healthy fear of the Lord what does it mean to have a fear of the Lord I think there's two ways that we can kind of look at this this phrase one is a fear of the Lord can be honestly a a fear being scared of the wrath of God the wrath to come and as Christians, Christians don't fear the wrath of God because the blood of Christ has covered over the wrath of God um, in our lives. We don't have to pay for our sins like people who are far from Christ do. But Christians still have a fear of the Lord because they fear what's going to happen to unbelievers. They, they know what's going to happen, that that unbelievers are going to be separated from God. That they are not going to get into heaven and their eternity is going to be spent in hell. And when we take stock of that and, and understand that fully and truly, it can cause a lot of fear in our lives. We are, we are fearful of the wrath that comes. That's one way we can look at the fear of God. But another way we can look at the fear of the God is what Adrian Rogers, a famous preacher, he once said this. That the fear of the Lord is love on its knees. I think that's a great way to think about the fear of the Lord where you get on your knees and your arms are stretched open and you say, God, I'm all yours. It's when we understand and fully realize that life is not about us, it's about God. And when that happens, it changes us and it causes us to do something different and live a different way and do ministry a different way and be a church a different way than some might be. And this is what was happening to Paul. Paul says, because of this fear of God, it has caused me to do something. In fact, Jesus gives Paul this, this, this calling in his life. And you see this calling in the second part of that verse where he says, we work hard to persuade others. This is his ministry in a nutshell. And if you go back to Acts chapter 26, Paul describes what happened when he was lost. He was going to Damascus. And Jesus shows up on this road. And you probably heard this story where Jesus shows up in a, in a vision and Paul is saved. His name is changed from Saul to Paul and Jesus says this to him. <clears throat> he says, I am sending you to tell people about me and I am sending you to open their eyes. And that was his ministry. That was his calling in life. And in, in another way, Jesus was saying, you are called to persuade other people to follow me. And that's what, Je- that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I just wanna do what Jesus called me to do. And so you may be here as a, as a member, a long-time term member. You may have been here for decades. You may be a brand-new member. You may be a guest here today, and so I'm glad you guys are here with us. Or you may be watching online. It doesn't matter how you're listening or watching this message today. There's something that, that you need to realize. Central Baptist Church has always been a church that has tried to follow this verse. We've been people who have this, this holy and worshipful fear of God. That has caused us to tell people about Jesus. That At our core, that is who we are. And we see here in this text a, a, a central truth about what a healthy church is all about. So if you write anything down uh, today, you can, you can write this down. That a biblical church shows that people matter. That people matter. That's what this verse is talking about. That we have this fear of God and who he is in our lives. And we understand who he is. We are not God. He is God. And therefore, we want to do what he's called us to do. And he has called us to persuade other people. His ministry for us is all about people. And so a healthy church, a biblical church, shows that people matter. And people matter to us because they matter to Jesus. Jesus being willing to to die for the lost so they may be saved. That is true love. And we are called to love people that same way. And that's what Paul did. That was his example for us. And he's a great example, great way for us to to look at how we should do ministry. I mean, think about about Paul's ministry. He, over three missionary journeys, he traveled over 8,000 miles for people right 2000 years ago when you couldn't drive a car right 8000 miles it took over 250 days to travel those 8000 miles and it cost him 3 years worth of salary to pay for those trips and he did that because people matter right and he even went through incredible hardships and he describes this later on in second corinthians chapter 11 where he's, again, defending his ministry, and he says this, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. How many of y'all can, can say that describes your walk with Christ, right? right? No, 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 that's not how it is for us today. That's how it was for Paul because he loved people so much because of what Jesus had done in his life and the calling that Jesus had put on his life. And he goes on to describe it in verse 24 and says, five different times, The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. So Paul, this man of God, his back is scarred up. Like like a slave. He says in verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I'm not talking about being stoned today, um, being stoned back then. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Can you imagine that? Spending... That long, out in the open water, not sure what's going to happen. I wonder what his prayer life was like to the Lord um, during that time. Verse 26, he says, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long. And during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty and I've often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. He describes all that. He says, this is how it was when I was coming to you in my missionary journeys. And then he says this. This is kind of funny. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. What he's saying is now I've got to deal with all you people. That's what he's saying. Okay. He's saying, man, ministry is difficult. Ministry is hard. But you know, it's worth it because people matter. People matter. And since 1963, for 58 years, this has been our desire as a church. And we see it here in this verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. But that verse doesn't end there. It goes on and says this. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. Saying, hey, we're not fake. God knows we're not fake. Hope you can see that, that we aren't fake either. And he says in verse 12, are we commending ourselves to you again? No. No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us. He's saying, we're not trying to brag. We're not trying to say we're better than other people. We're just saying, trying to say that we're real and we're genuine. And he says this, and he says, we're telling you all, all of this so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. So what was happening then is that while other teachers were doing the things they were doing for their own reputations, Paul was saying, that's not why I do ministry. The reason I do ministry is because I just want to be real with people. In fact, honestly, that could be Paul's slogan for life, real ministry for real people. That's, that's like who he was and what he did. And honestly, here, let me try to explain. Here's what Paul was saying. He's saying these other ministries, they're like a pig and someone trying to put lipstick on a pig, right? Here's a picture, okay? A lipstick on a pig looks silly, right? But that's what he's saying. He's saying it doesn't matter how much lipstick you put on a pig, it's still a pig, isn't it, you know? He's saying, those ministries, they're not real. They're not genuine. They're not true. He's saying, the ministry that God has called him to is true and real. He's not trying to be fake. So here we find another great truth for churches today, that a biblical church pursues faithful ministry over a facade, right? It's not about being fake, it's about being real with people. And if you go back in this verse, in verse, verse 11 and 12, you see this word sincere a couple times. And the Greek word for sincere in the majority of time in the New Testament is, is talking about being genuine or pure in motive. Saying it's not about all of the hype and all the, the fame. It's not about all the personal gain. It's about being genuine with people and having a pure motive in our hearts about the things that we do and the things we say to people. So here's what faithful ministry is looks like there are two complementary commands that the bible gives us as a church the way we should do ministry one's in colossians chapter 3 verse 16 here's what it says says let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god what it's saying here is that that's what a church should be about we should be about people who we should be people who, who are dwelling on scripture and we run to scripture for every single thing that we need in this life for direction and life. We should run to scripture, we should dwell on it, we should teach each other it about it. We should teach other people about scripture and we should hold each other accountable and help each other and encourage one another because of what God's word says and the wisdom we find in God's word. But not only that, we also should sing. We should worship to God. And it describes several different ways to worship God here with, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But then it ends and says, we do all of this with thankfulness in our hearts because of what God has done for us. We should be a church like that. That should be how we live. But not only that, there's another complimentary command that the Bible gives us, and it's Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, right? And it's simply this, go and make disciples. So not only do we do do this how we love and worship God, but we're also looking outward towards people. This should be our mission. In fact, since the beginning, that has been our, our mission. And we have one of our founding members of our church here with us today. She was a part of the first youth group all you teenagers around here, she's a part of the part of the first youth group, went to Falls Creek for the first time um, with her, her youth group. She was um, a the first piano player for our church and leading in worship. And then she actually became the youth director for a time. And her name is Patty Hampton. Y'all give it up for Patty. <laughs> so I, I, I asked Patty to, to pray for our, our church. And so uh, I'm going to walk down. So camera all going to have to follow me. Uh, But, Patty, we love you, and we're so thankful for your commitment to our church for so many years. And uh, I just want to ask you, would you mind uh, praying for for us at Central Baptist?
1: Precious Father, I just come to you. What a privilege it is to be able to approach you and know that you're there. Father, we love and adore you. And I just pray that you just will uh, be with our church I thank you for the history of our church and, and for the, what it's meant to me in my life, and for the, the faithful servants who set the foundations and were faithful in reaching out to the lost. And Father, I, I pray for our church as we go forward. We won't hold on to the past. Father we'll learn from it, but we'll, we'll go forward and be obedient to your calling. We'll be people that radiate Christ in everything that we do and say. And Father, I lift up our, 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 our ministers. I lift up Clayton to you and, and all those who serve and our staff and, and Father, the various teachers and leaders that we have in this church. Father, we all have a responsibility and I pray that no matter what our age is, God, you will use us to bring glory to your holy name. That, Father, we would be willing to go where you tell us to go. And that we would, we would just show Jesus, not us, to all the people we come in contact with. Father, that they might see you and be drawn to you. And that, Father, you would give us the words to say when you tell us to speak. And that, Father, that you would just um, use us to bring glory to your name. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will just direct us and guide us and comfort us as as we will be willing to relinquish our control to you. Father, we just thank you and praise you for it's in Christ's name that I pray, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Patty. I'll give her a round of applause one more time. Thank you for, for doing that. Patty, we love you. And we're so grateful for the ministry that uh, you have here at Central. And and you know what I would like to, for us to do is I like for us to to go back and let's look at where we've come from, where Central has come from. I, our staff over the last uh, couple of weeks we've been we've been digging through all of the old archives. Man, that's fun, right? We've Driven through all the old archives, we found. Um, all of these these great photos and business meeting notes, which is kind of funny to, to look back through and and see where the church has, has come from. So I wanted to sh- show you some of those. So we're going to put them up on the screen. This this first picture is from uh, Vacation Bible School in 1964, the very first Vacation Bible School, one year after the church was was started. And look how they advertise for VBS. Like we today we do it. We have the whole like online thing and we're doing videos. Man, they just stuck a uh, Sign on the top of a car, and then just went around town and said, "Come on, kids, y'all, y'all follow us to BBS." And man, it was effective, and it was awesome. But in January 1963, 76 believers got together in a garage and held their first church service, and just in someone's private garage. And, and uh, after quickly after that, they realized, you know, we we can't do that anymore. We got to find a bigger place. And so they found an abandoned pool hall. I was talking to Patty, man, it, it was empty, like there's no pool tables left, which kind of stinks for the youth group. I mean, it had been awesome for the first youth group. It was just full of pool, of pool tables. Uh, but they cleared that place out, and that's where they began to meet. And at the very beginning, they said this. They said, let's be, become a church of love and faith that reaches out to people. And then in the very second meeting, an elementary school teacher named Claribel May, she spoke up and said, you know what? Let's call this church Central Baptist. And that's how the church got its name. I thought it would have been like a big study or something like that. But no, it's just Clarabelle. You know, and I was thinking about this. You know, she missed her opportunity. She could have called it Clarabelle Baptist Church. I mean, she had a chance, and she didn't. She went with Central, um, but I love the name Central. And, And so after that, they... The church uh, moved, bought some land with two small houses on it. And they took one of the houses and they gutted the place. And they, they took out the kitchen and redid the living room and took out a bedroom. And they brought in a whole bunch of chairs and, a, and rolled a piano in there. And that's where they had church at the beginning. But then on that land in 1968, you can see it up on here, they built their first sanctuary. And they quickly outgrew that. And they had to build an education wing on top of that or, or next to it. And then in 1985 and 1986, the church built an actual, uh, a new sanctuary that is, the building is still there today. But I want to tell you this, the the church is not about buildings. It's about people, isn't it? And so I wanted to put this next picture up on here, and it's it's actually a a picture of Falls Creek, the youth group, in 1986. Uh, So man, look at that. Um, There's a couple things that are really important for them. It was bright clothes and big hair. That's uh, 1986. Some of y'all might be in that picture. I don't know or know some people in there. Um, But, man, that's what the church is about. It was about ministry. It was about life change. It was about discipleship and people coming to faith in Christ. That's what the church has always been about. It's not about buildings. It's about people. In fact, we have, uh, I'm not sure if they're in here. They were in the first service, but we have a a couple that have been in our church, it was one back there, since 1975. And I found some pictures in our pictorial directories. You know, pictorial directories just have those. And I found four different ones, and there they are Don and Carol Palmer right there. Now, if you look at Don, Don hadn't changed a bit since 1975. I mean, it looks the same, right? <laughs> it's just crazy. Um, but man, this is just an example of faithful people, right? Faithful church members sticking it out. And doing ministry and loving people and being a part of our congregation. Well, in 1998, we realized something. It it had been 40 years since the the church had had been founded. And they realized that the name Central didn't really fit the church anymore. Because even though it was downtown at one time and the the community was around the the place and it literally was Central. They realized that the community had, had grown away from downtown. And the church prayed and bought the land that we are on right now, which was outside of town. It was just an, an empty field and cattle were still on it. And there was a cattle pond in the back. And, and we got together through much prayer and bought these, this the land that we are currently on right now. And then in 2002 and 2003, we began to build. And you can see that's the building we're in today. And in 2003, we held our first service. I'm going to show you a picture of the first service in here so you can kind of look at it and and see. But I want you to look back. It's a little different today, isn't it, right? The stage looks totally different um, than what it looked like back then. But what, what what I wanted to show you about this is that throughout the history of our church, our church has taken steps of faith and taken some big risks. We had to, we've moved when we had to move. We've, we've changed ministry when we've had to change ministry. But out of necessity and out of need, because people matter. And we wanted to be a church that's known for faithful ministry and not a facade. We've had 12 pastors and thousands of church members. And it's been an amazing journey. I think there's some things that we can learn from our past. And so if you're writing notes, here's a couple of things. Number one, real Christians... Are risk takers. We need to be a church known as risk takers. Now, I would say that we are. We've gone through a lot. And we when we've had to do the things we've had to do, it's been tough, tough, and difficult, and there's a chance it was gonna fail, but we trusted God and we stepped forward, and the results are amazing. We bought this place, we built this facility, and it was a big risk. But you know what? We looked at the demographic study of the studies of the area. And Central Baptist Church is smack dab in the middle of our community now. There are thousands of homes all around us, people that need Jesus, and we are right next door to them because of the faith of our former and current church members who took risk, took a risk when they needed to. You look at Paul's ministry. Paul was a big risk taker. He could have just stayed in Jerusalem or Antioch and the places he lived, and he could have just sent letters, you know, to random people he never met. But instead he said, you know what, I'm going to travel 8,000 miles I'm gonna spend the rest of my life taking risks, and he gave you his resume of all the risks he went through because people matter. Churches need to be churches where, where the church members take risks, and we have been that way. That's been who we are, and so we we, we can learn from the past and say, you know what, we need to be like we were in the past. We were risk takers. We're gonna continue to be risk takers, but we can also celebrate the past. I wanna thank the ladies in our office. They Went through the numbers and crunched the numbers um, all week and found out that as of today, Central Baptist Church has baptized 1,211 people. It's incredible. 1,211 people whose lives have been changed. Yeah, amen. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. That's not just a number to brag about. It's a number to say that that's the number of, of lives that have been changed. Not only that, those are, that's the number of, of new ministers who have gone out and changed lives um, in their communities or wherever they have gone. And a lot of you are included in that number as well. Man, it's, it's a great thing to learn from our past, but also to look back at the past and to celebrate it. You know what? I, I take this mirror back out and think about, you know, when we look at the past, we're, we're kind of... Like we're looking in the, the rearview mirror and we, we celebrate and we, we learn from the past. And usually when we look in the rearview mirror, it's things that are, are going away from us, right? Or we're going further away from, from whatever's um we just drove by all the things that are in our rearview rear mirror in the past. But if you've ever like hauled something and you, had a, you have a truck, when you look in the rearview mirror, what do you see? A trailer, right? <laughs> all you see is a trailer, and I've hauled trailers around a lot. And, I man, when you're hauling a trailer, things are different. You can't go as fast as you want to go. And you can't um, pull into gas stations sometimes the way you want to pull into gas stations. You have to plan things out. It changes how you drive. And here's one danger that a lot of churches face, and it's even a danger for us, that we can look at the past, we can celebrate it, we can, we can learn from it, but you know what? We can't take the past with us. We've got to be a church that, you know, what pulls over, goes to the back of the truck, jacks up the trailer and takes it off of the truck. If we're going to go forward the way that God has called us to go forward. So what that means is we've got to be able and willing to do ministry different than we've ever done it before in the past. We've got to be willing to take risks like we've never taken risks before in the past. We've got to be a church that's willing to say, you know what? We love the past. We love our church. We love our history of our church. We love the people that are a part of our church. But you know what? We're moving forward. We're moving forward. And I think there's, there's another truth that we can, we can take away. One final takeaway. It's this. That your past may drive you to today, but it won't get you to tomorrow. Our past has gotten us to where we are today, but you know what? we got to unhook that trailer and say, you know what? We're moving forward. So we praise God we thank God for all all, all the things that he's done i mean we, we praise God for the, the the history of central and all the lives that have been changed we we praise God for the the members who have Um, We're so faithful, but they have gone on to glory before us. We thank them. We're so thankful for them. We're thankful for the church members who have stuck it out over the long haul because, you know, we celebrate all the great things, but there have been issues in our church. There have been some tough times in our church, and people have stuck it out. And so we're so thankful for those of you who have done that. And we're thankful for all of you here right now in 2021. It's been an incredible run. It's been awesome. But here's the deal. We aren't done yet. We aren't done yet. We have something new coming. God is doing something new here in our church. And so I want to invite you to come back next week. Next week, we're going to continue this study of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in these verses where we're going to take a look at where we are right now. Just like our nation, we have a like State of the Union address sometimes. We're going to have kind of a state of the union of our church, the state of Central Baptist Church, the what's happening currently. Um, which is gonna speak a lot to the future for our church. So I wanna invite you to come and be a part of that because it's gonna be awesome. We love our past. We thank God for our past. But you know what? It's time for something new. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the, the lives that have been changed, for what you've done in and through us as a church. God, we are so grateful for, for all of the, the members who have stuck it out, who have sacrificed, and many of them are here in this room right now. You know, 2020 is, was a crazy year, and it was tough for our church and for so many churches all around the world. But God, um, there's one truth that we can hold on to is that you never leave us. I mean, you're always right beside us, and you're, you're working through us, and you're, you're taking care of us. And you've been doing that decade after decade after decade in the lives of our church members and the impact that our church has had in this community. And so God, we thank you for our past. But God, we are praying for our future. God, we pray that you would do something incredible in this church. We pray, God, that you would use us, that we would be a vessel that is fit for your service in our community. And honestly, God, all around the world, We thank you, God, for technology that we have an ability to to reach people like never before. And there are people watching right now, not only in our community, but all over the place, thousands of miles away. So thank you for the impact that we have, and it's all because of you, God. We want to be a church that is is people-focused, that is reaching out to the lost and discipling the saved church that is faithful to you and faithful in our ministry. Thank you for what you've done. And God, we thank you for what you're going to do. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.